0: Good morning. It is good to be with you. And uh, before I begin, I love your pastor. Um, knowing him, he's probably watching when he shouldn't be. He should be on vacation. But uh, I love him. You know, in a day where church, I think, is plagued with a lot of performers, you have a pastor who loves to pastor you. And he has a deep love for this community, a deep love for this house. And uh, I consider him a true friend. So can you put your hands together and just thank God for him? Amen. Come on. And then, uh, you know, Hillary and Joel, I'm so proud of you guys. I just love you, grateful for you. Crazy how God works and uh, how he brought us back together after all these years. And so I just want you to know that that, that open door is proud of you and rooting you on. Amen. Come on, somebody. Give that thanks for the All right. I got, I got a word for you this morning, and, uh, and I really believe that God's placed something on my heart. I was actually going to share something different, and when I was praying about what to share, I felt like the Holy Spirit really had me go this direction, okay? And so I want you to lean in, lean into my southern charm, okay? And, uh, and the other thing is, I would say, is there's worse places to be than Wilmington, North Carolina, amen? Uh, in the summer, I came from Dallas recently, and it was 112 degrees, Okay? That's hotter than, you know what, H-E double hockey sticks, okay? It's really easy to preach on hell there, so I'm not going to do that today. But if you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me to a familiar passage of Scripture. We're going to look at Luke chapter 15, Luke chapter 15 together. And it is a story of what many would call the prodigal son. But the title of this weekend's message is the prodigal father. The prodigal father. And uh, and we're going to read this text together. We're going to talk about it just for a few minutes in the context that it's in. But then I want to share some things very personal in my heart with you, really, and what I believe God wants to do in this house, in this season. And it's going to be a little bit of shift for you. So starting verse number 11, to illustrate the point further, the Scriptures say, Jesus told them the story. He said a man had two sons. Somebody say two sons. So listen, one of the ways to read the Bible is to realize that it really is a story about two sons. If you go back and you look I and mean, you see that you have Isaac and Esau, Go a little bit further, you see you have, I'm sorry, Isaac and Ishmael. Go a little bit further, you have Jacob and Esau. Go a little bit further, then you see that the kingdoms end up being split behind King Rehoboam. So you end up with Judah and you end up with Israel. Go a little bit further into the New Testament, then you see this about Jews and Gentiles. So you consistently see this theme that when you read the Bible, it really is in how two sons, if you will, two children are navigating that goes on to say, the younger son told his father, I want some of my share of your bougie estate now before you die. So this father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. How many of you know that what was already in the younger son's heart when he asked for his share of the inheritance? Now listen, the context is this. The daddy knew what was in the son's heart But the father allowed what was in the son's heart to play out in his actions. It teaches us from the beginning that God cares more about what's in your heart than just your action. And so many of us, we're more worried about our action than what's in our heart. And God is forever peeling back the onion of our heart so that our action and our true heart comes to the surface young son packed all his belongings, moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money on wild living. I don't know what wild living is, but it's fun for a season. Can I get a good amen? All right, for a season. It eventually cost you, but it's fun for a little while. About that time, his money ran out, and a great famine swept over the land, and he began to get hangry. So he persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs Look good to him, but no one gave him anything. Can we all agree that you gotta be hangry for whatever you're feeding pigs to look good? Now listen, this is a this is a big deal. So how many of you like bacon? All right, I mean, so every once in a while I'll speak in different places, and people actually live in tremendous error to the word of God because they think barbecue's made out of cows. Barbecue is not made out of cows. Barbecue's made out of pigs. Can I get a good amen in this house? All right. So here's the deal, though. We got to realize that for sure this was an atrocity to the Jewish people that he's speaking to. Because a pig was a dirty animal. So Jesus is absolutely digging into the Pharisees and Sadducees, which is who he's talking to. He's talking, the whole reason the parable exists is not for those that are prodigals. The whole reason why the parable exists because Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and Sadducees and he is saying, listen, this kid went to the extent of being in the miry clay with the very pigs that you call are distasteful and unclean. Jesus is telling the story and in every aspect he is hitting their religious front, messing with their thought processes. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare. Why am I here dying of hunger? I'm going to go home to my father, and I'm going to say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him coming. Mm. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son and he embraced him and he kissed him. And he said to his son, or his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But the father stopped him and said, Servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but he is now found. So the pate began. Listen to me. This is the great beauty of the gospel is that, listen, we don't have to put people in time out. They don't have to earn back favor. I don't care where you are today, how far from daddy you are. You just got to come home and he restores his children to full status. Isn't it amazing? He didn't say to the son, hey, you got to prove yourself. Give me three months of you acting and right, and I'll give you the title of son back. It really doesn't matter whether you're in the pig pen today or whether you're in the palace. God still says you're a son, still says you're a daughter. Just because you don't see yourself that way doesn't mean that he's changed what he sees in you. I'm already preaching better than you're responding, but you are responding pretty good, I'll be honest with you. With worship like that, that's strong. Come on, somebody. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields. Look at your neighbor and say, you don't want to be that guy. Now, here's the deal. The whole parable is about the older son. It's not about the younger son. He's he's told this entire story to get to this. He said the older son was out in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard the music and dancing in the house and asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother's back, he was told. Your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and he wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. Listen to me. Isn't it amazing that the father left home twice? Once to go meet the younger son and wants to try to go get the older brother. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. In all of that time, you never gave me one young goat so I could feast with my friends. Did the older brother want to feast with the father or did he want to feast with his friends? And when this son of yours, hold on a second, I thought he was a brother comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes. Nobody said anything about prostitutes at the beginning. So the older brother's filling in what wild living is. <laughs> you like that, didn't you? I thought <laughs> so too. <laughs> you celebrate by killing... That was funny. You, kept, I, you got me lost now. You celebrate <laughs> by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, Look, dear son. You have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but he is now found. All right, now the next few minutes, I need you to lean in. I need you to hear some things, because I'm going to give you some things I don't want you to chew on this week. Because what this passage of Scripture communicates is the gospel. In a real and authentic way. In one way or another, at one time or another, we have all been the younger son. I mean, we have all been prodigals, right? I mean, I was a good one. I had a good time with sin for a season, and then I finally got my hips straight and I came back home. That's the story of us all. But this parable isn't about the younger brother. It's about the older one. What it's about is that we will either take on the heart of the father or we will in turn become the older brother. So either we're going to take on the nature of God the father or we are left with nothing than becoming the older brother. Some of the most honorary I don't know if y'all say that in Wilmington. Does that make sense? Honorary people in the world are Christians. And it's because we forget how amazing His mercy and His grace is. Drives me crazy. We sing about it every Sunday, but we're some of the meanest people on the planet if we are not continuing to become like our Father. Now listen, I'm going to make some big statements here. There is no greater truth in all of Scripture, no greater truth, than that God desires to be known as a Father. I mean, have you ever thought about it? That out of all the things that he could call himself, which he's God, so he can name himself whatever he wants. He desired to be known as a father. Uh, There is no doubt that is why the enemy has attacked that word in our culture, maybe more than any other word. Now, that's a truth, and it's a great truth. There is no greater revelation Listen, there's a difference between what I know in my head and what I actually know in my heart. There is no greater revelation in all the scripture than he is a good one. That is everything in the kingdom of God. Is that he is a father and he is actually a good one. So no matter what experience I've had with my earthly father, which some of us have had some bad experiences. He is a good father. And in that place, it means that I no longer have to strive for his approval, but his approval has already been given. And what's beautiful about this parable is that that is exactly what takes place. The younger son has something in his heart. And the father does something amazing. He's like, listen, son, I don't want you to hide what's in your heart and just base it on good behavior. But if that's in your heart, I'm going to let it play out because I don't want somebody who's a hypocrite in the house. I want this to become a true expression of what your heart is. And who he's talking to is the older brother. There are over 200 references in the New Testament alone to God being a father. The exclusive way that Jesus spoke about God was that he was a father. Now listen, this is a very important statement that I'm getting ready to give you, but I am going to tell you a story. So uh, the church that I pastor, Lauren and I pastor my wife, is called Open Door Church, right? My dad started Open Door Church 38 years ago with my mom. And uh, my dad is the greatest man I've ever known. Okay, He's a spiritual father. Um, He was my father, my pastor, my mentor, and my dad. It got really confusing, okay? And occasionally very aggressive. But anyway, um, and so a few years ago, right before the pandemic, uh, we went traveling together. So he transitioned the church to me. This is going to be, this is my seventh year. I'll celebrate eight years of being a senior pastor at Open Door Church uh, in August. And so um, we were on a trip together. He was so Proud would probably be the right word of all that God was doing at Open Door. And one of the joys of our heart is we got to travel together towards uh, late, or a few years ago. We began to travel together, go places that he never thought we would ever see. One trip, we went out to see one of my apostolic elders, Brady Boyd, um, in Colorado Springs. And it was like a trip for him of knowing as a dad that he had gotten me to a place of safety of spiritual authority. So it was like a really, like it was a special trip, you know. We, and I wanted to take good care of him. We had two of our uh, elders with us. And so we go to this amazing dinner. Come on, somebody. Jesus was all about food. I am too. Come on. And so we went and had an amazing meal together. You know, we, we drove into Colorado Springs, and, and it was just a really sweet night. We go to the room together, and he's staying across the hall from me. And I'll never forget. He literally looked at me and said, son, I love you. Good night. Those were the last words my daddy would ever say to me. In Colorado Springs, a little bit over three and a half years ago, my daddy went to sleep that night with snow falling in Colorado, and he woke up in the arms of Jesus. Amen. Then right after that, the church was grieved. I mean, this is, this, is, this is who my daddy was. My daddy literally was hugging necks at the church the day before he died. And so to say that our church was in shock would be an understatement. To say that our, I mean, I've got one of my elders who I've known for—he's known me for thirty some years. Um, obviously, I'm fifty-five years old. I just look very young. I'm just kidding. He's—he's uh, uh, he's been a mentor to me forever. But to say that we were all in shock doesn't even do it justice. To say the church was hurting, I was hurting. You know, one of the things that I learned during that time, because we went into the pandemic right after that. In fact, there were people that came up to me a year and a half later because of the pandemic that had not seen me since my father had died that go to our church. And occasionally after that time, the Holy Spirit, I felt like, would come to me and be like, hey, you you ready to talk about your daddy? And I'd be like, no, I don't want to talk about it. I still love Jesus, I was still reading the Bible. But there were certain places in my life that I did not want to have a conversation with God. I wasn't ready. What I learned during that time is that God doesn't try to get us over our pain, but He walks through our pain with us. Like if you're in a place of pain today, you're in a place of grief. God's not trying to get you past it, but He's in it with you. And you're not broken because you're grieving. In fact, it's one of the greatest Signs of spiritual health when we embrace the grief process instead of try to run through it. That's free. That didn't cost you anything. And that's not even in my notes. <laughs> but there was one moment almost six months later that I was down at my desk and I was praying. And the Holy Spirit, like He had a handful of times, I felt like He said, You ready to talk about your dad? And in a moment of frustration, I pushed everything away I said, fine, what do you have to say? What do you have to say? You took my father at the worst time in history to take him. And I'll never forget some of the things that he's spoken in my life personally. But then he gave me this statement, and and this is not a gender-specific statement, even though because of my context, it was given to me in a gender-specific way. But when he spoke it into my heart, I knew it was a message for the body of Christ it was a message for our eldership. It was a message for our church, and it was a message for me. So I want you to see this statement. I think they have it on the screens, but this is what he said to my heart. He said, fathers don't raise sons to be sons. Fathers raise sons to be fathers. Fathers don't raise sons to be sons. Fathers raise sons to be fathers. In all of our context, fathers don't raise sons or daughters to be sons and daughters. They raised sons and daughters to be fathers and mothers. And what I realized is that there was a massive transitioning that was happening in our house, in all the churches that I help oversee or speak into, in the body of Christ. And what I would submit to you is that's what's happening here. Is that there's a different way in which a father and a mother look at a child than a brother and sister. And if anything right now, what we have in the body of Christ is an older brother syndrome that is a whole lot more quick to criticize than it is the perspective of a father and mother who have outlived the foolish decisions of their children. Well, I'm very grateful today that my daddy did not give up on me when I was crazy, wild, wild ruining his reputation in our small community. Like literally, guys, you know how weird it is that I preach in Greenville? Like really, that sounded really country, by the way, didn't it? You know how I'm You know, because I have people I partied with that go to our church. I have people that took them almost 15 years to ever come to Open Door Church because they remember the parties I was at and what I was doing at those parties. Well, what it teaches you is you can always outlive your reputation because God's reputation is that good. So, getting this place, we say, "Hold on a second. Have we taken on the character of our Father?" Listen, sonship is a qualifier, but it's never been the destination. So, you can hear me talk about being a son or daughter of God all day long, and it is a true revelation. But the truth is, why would we ever be a son and daughter of God if we don't have the revelation first that He's a good Father? God didn't call Abraham to be a son. He called him to be a father. God didn't want David, or David wanted to build the temple. God wanted to establish David's house so that Solomon, his son, would build it. The greatest example that we have of generations running together, which is what the bridge is called to be, it's in the vision and mission statement, is that we would be a generational house that runs together, and no one ever thinks about this example. But Jesus is the greatest picture of that. Because Mary was there when Jesus was conceived. And Mary was there when she saw Jesus ascend. From the beginning of Jesus' life to the end of his life on this earth, he ran beside his mama. It is one of the most beautiful examples of generational ministry that we have from start to finish. All right, now I got to hurry. Are y'all ready? Because I'm going to give you four aspects about the Father's heart that I want you to write down, and I want you to really think about what does this mean to take on the character of the Father. The first one is this: a Father's heart is always hopeful. A Father's heart is always hopeful. All right, this is the enemy's attacking this in our culture today. The posture of hope is preparation. You can always tell by how hopeful a person is by how they're preparing for that which they're hoping for. What what I love about it, listen, did you catch it? When the son began to come home, the younger son, the daddy was already ready because he was fattening the calf while the son was off in the pig pen. There is something beautiful about the fact that the father never lost hope. But he was looking for that son to come home. He was on the front porch. He had that calf being fattened. I don't know how you fatten a calf, but it sounds good eating. And so they were ready for that boy to come home. There is something powerful for a church that remains hopeful in the midst of not having any reason to hope. And if there is anything that has been attacked in church over these last few years is that we have begun to become cynical and hopeless instead of hopeful for God to move. The last time I checked, the church has been thriving for 2,000 years in spite of all the things that have gone wrong, in spite of pestilence, in spite of famine, in spite of all the, the, the disunity that exists, God is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. So if we are struggle busing, it's because we might not be on his team. We might be trying to build our own kingdom. And I love this. Romans, 8, uh, Romans 4, 18 through 21, it says this. Even when there was no reason to hope, Abraham kept on hoping. Yeah. Believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God has said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, I don't care how old you are in this place, can we all agree that 100 is old? He figured his body was as good as dead and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger and then this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced. Somebody say fully convinced. Fully Fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. Listen, this is so powerful and I love this thought process about faith and trust is that did you know that Hebrews in this great hall of faith It literally says that none of them saw the fulfillment of the full promise. That means our faith, and we talk about this in different denominational backgrounds, the quality of your faith or the quantity of your faith. There's something powerful in just an honest faith. Because it's saying, God, I'm anchoring my hope. I'm anchoring my faith to you and your promise, not the outcome of how I think it will happen. Most Christians today are plagued with disappointment because we filled in the gaps of what God said and how we thought He would do it. How many of us have lived long enough in this Christian faith that God occasionally does things I don't like? And last time I checked, He don't change because of that. Part of maturing in Christ is getting over the way God brings about a promise versus how I would do it. Mm, That was good to me. I I, I needed that. (laughs) Man, if you ain't preaching to yourself, something's wrong with you. All right? Faith looks to the one who promises. Hope looks to the things that are promised. So often we get stuck because we're looking. We begin to worship the promise instead of worshiping the one who gave it. Number two, a father's heart dreams generationally. A father's heart dreams generationally. Listen to me, and I've been talking to Pastor Ethan about this, and he's been talking to me about things that God is stirring in his heart, but it's time to dream again. It's it's time. One of the things that I've always known about church, and, and, and I don't have time to get into this, But it takes a season of being in church and and building a church to get to the place that you begin to dream like God dreams instead of what you think your capacity is. God's dream is always bigger than your capacity. So if you're having a dream that you can do, then it's not God's dream, it's your dream. Is anybody here? So often, that, that's that's where we got to come back to and say, God, it's time for us to dream again—not not a selfish dream, but a real dream. That's your dream. Long before Abraham became a father, he dreamed generationally. That was a dream; it was a generational dream. The dreams of God are the oxygen of hope. So today, like if if you're struggling and spiritually, you you're without oxygen, which I would say a lot of people are today. They don't, they don't, they can't breathe. Then you need a God dream because it's the oxygen of hope in our lives. God wants to graft you into a dream that's bigger than you, and He wants to give you a dream that's bigger than you, also. So one of the things that's beautiful about this is that God wants to graft you. And when I think about the bridge, like how do you this is not somebody's dream, this is God's dream. God had a dream that was called Bridge Church. Now, how do you know that? Because the bridge has been through some fire. The bridge has been through some heart. And guess what? We're still here. We're still praising Jesus. We're still in the process of becoming fashioned into his image. Listen, there is a dream called the Bridge Church that existed in Wilmington, North Carolina. And I'm telling you today that there is power in grafting yourselves into God's dream. Not our dream, but God's dream. Because when we give our lives to God's dream, there is something powerful that happens in our life. Because it's not a selfish motivation, but it's a kingdom motivation that builds it for his glory and his good all throughout the old testament we see the references of the god of abraham isaac and jacob but many times before god will give you your own dream he will ask you to steward someone else's so one of the things that bothers me in this day is that so many people are saying god i, I need i need a dream for my life I, I, need, I need what you want to do in my life can i help you today Find a God dream and give your life to it. Stop asking God for your own dream and start finding a God dream to pour your life into because when you're faithful in stewarding somebody else's dream, He will eventually give you your own because then you're able to hold it and steward it. Sons and daughters see through one perspective, but fathers and mothers see through another. What one generation dreams, another will see. I'm seeing things today played out at open door that my mom and my dad dreamed. And one of the things that greets my heart is that he's not here to see it. But he did see it. And he saw it clearly enough that his son could grab a hold of it and run with it. Fathers and mothers dream beyond what their natural eyes will see and what their lives will enable them to accomplish. The greatest gift that my natural daddy ever gave me was a God dream that was bigger than him and that he couldn't fulfill because it gave me something to run with until God spoke to me. Point number three. Y'all are easy to preach to, and I'm preaching too long, so let's get it, okay? No, no, I mean, I gotta go. I gotta honor you. But this is fun. I tell you, I'm having a good time. Uh, Number three a father's heart leaves a spiritual heritage a father's heart leaves a spiritual heritage psalm 78 verse 4 says we will not hide these truths from our children but we will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the lord about his power and his mighty wonders now listen this this is this is really important and and you know how many let's do this how many of us have some jacked up mess in our past I I ask it this way. How many of us have got some skeletons in the closet, right? (laughs) How many of us come from some brokenness in our families? Listen, the key to parenting is not to live out of reaction, but to live out of action. So often in in, in a church, any church, a lot of us come from church hurt. Can we say that? Is that okay to talk about? So we come from this place of dysfunction. The power of the gospel is that God doesn't go into your past and fix your past. In fact, I would say this. Some of us have had some brokenness happen in our lives that it doesn't matter how often Jesus shows up, it's still broken. And one of the things in church, and we equate this whole healing, well, God's going to go fix all. There's some brokenness that happened to you that is just jacked up. But the beauty of the gospel is that it's the story of adoption. God takes you out of your jacked up family and he places you into the body of Christ. The beauty, listen, the cross, yes, it cut off the curse, right? It broke the curse, but it also allowed the blessings of God to pass through. What's so beautiful about the adoption of God is he brings us and grafts us into his family. So every blessing going all the way back to Abraham now is present and exists in our lives. So it's not about me just starting something new for those who flow from me, but it's about me realizing that I've been grafted in. So I have a family inheritance that goes back generations that God originally promised Abraham that now is present in my life. We need to realize that God brought us into the family of God so that he could, take us out of the curse and place us into the blessing of Almighty God. It's a heritage that exists for all of us. There are many that could stand on a stage and talk about the damage that has been done by a bad father. But I have long known that one of the greatest gifts I will ever give the body of Christ is to talk about the blessings that come of having a good one. And to think that no matter about my earthly father, it is just a picture, a minuscule picture of what the Father, God the Father, offers you. Point number four. A father's heart adopts children. It doesn't just create them. father's heart adopts children. It doesn't just create them. Where's Alex at? I need him to play behind me so I sound more spiritual. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Thank you. Everybody give it up for Alex. And your shoe game. Shoe game's bad boy. Um, so here's the deal, right? Oh help us Jesus. The story of the gospel has always been you're jacked up you can come be a part of family. You don't look like me. You can come be a part of the family. You don't come from the same background that I come from. You can be a part of our family. You're a different skin color. Come on, be a part of the family. You don't have as much money in the bank. It doesn't matter. Come be a part of the family. You know, long before culture tried to start speaking to issues, the gospel spoke to it. The problem that we have is that churches are trying to change culture instead of look inwardly at themselves and know that the divisions that exist in all of us, the Bible speaks to. And before we can change the world, we have to allow the Holy Spirit to change our hearts. Galatians 3.28 speaks to it. And I need you all to catch this because these are the three major areas of division says there is no longer jew or gentile slave or free male or female so he's not taking away your identity in that he's speaking about a kingdom culture that trumps your identity this is important don't lose me here he says for you are all one in christ jesus So this is what I love about Ethan. I love the heart here at the bridge, right? Is it is about being a bridge to different groups of people coming together. But for that to exist, we've got to realize that our drift is towards an older brother heart. So everybody can have all the things they want to accomplish. But if we don't take on the heart of the father, then it will never happen. Because people have been trying to bring people together forever. And it doesn't work without us taking on the nature of the Father. Without us saying, you know what, God, I need my heart to change. I need my heart to shift. I need to see through a different set of glasses than what I naturally see through. My question, Bridge, is are you wrestling with being an older brother? Are you wrestling, and I'm not talking about with groups of people, I'm talking about with individuals. Have you lost hope? Have you stopped believing that God can change somebody's heart? You know, what? the, the thoughts of the older brother, it affected how he saw himself in relation to the father. It affected how he saw himself and what he was worthy of. And it affected how he saw his brother. Listen to me. It is time to say, Holy Spirit, where's the brokenness in me that you want to heal, that you want me to forgive? I've got a few things that I just want to say prophetically or or give a word to the house. Luke chapter 117 and this is a little bit, but it really speaks this message. He will be a man. This is speaking about Jesus. He will be a man in the power of Elijah. He will prepare for the coming of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and will cause those who are rebellious to accept wisdom or the wisdom of the godly. Listen, God is raising up a house today, and I love this. It says he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. Amen intergenerational ministry, generations running together is what is the last sign of revival on the earth. It is the last thing that God wants to do before his return. And it is generations running together not trying to get each other out of the way so they can do their own agenda but dying to their dream so that God's dream can be realized. The greatest things that we exist is the tensions that exist is when we place our agenda, our preference above somebody else instead of laying down our agenda and our preference so that we can pick up what God's agenda is and His preference is for our house. It's a bridge. Become like the Father. Become like the Father because that was Jesus' whole purpose on the earth. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. I want to pray. We're going to have a little bit of response time this morning. A few things that I just wanted to minister to today, corporately, and that is if you're discouraged today, you're just in a season of discouragement. You're just discouraged about how life is going, what's happening, what's taking place. It could be in a myriad of different ways, but if you're discouraged today, I want to pray for you. If you're hopeless today, when I spoke hopelessness, you could almost feel in this Service that there were many today that are hopeless. Maybe it's because of a situation in your marriage. Maybe it's with a child. May, whatever the case may be in your job, but you are struggling with hopelessness today, I want to pray for you. And then there's some mamas and daddies, and I just love whenever I get to share a word like this to pray for those who are, have some prodigals. Maybe you got a prodigal that you're waiting to come home. And you're believing that the Holy Spirit is going to bring them home. So if you're discouraged today, you're dealing with hopelessness, or you have a prodigal, why don't you just stand to your feet? I'm not going to call you down front for this, but I want you to stand all over this place, and I'm going to pray for you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, We're just responding. Thank you, Lord. That's awesome. 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 And I want those who are standing, why don't you just get in a posture of receiving? Lift your hands if you're okay with that, but it's it's more just receiving. So Holy Spirit, I just pray for all my brothers and sisters today that are standing. God, those that are discouraged. Lord, those that are hopeless. Those mamas and daddies who are praying for a prodigal to come home. Lord, I pray that first for those that are discouraged, that God, you would breathe your life into them. That, Father, that this is not a season that you're trying to get them over their pain or talk them out of being discouraged, but you're in it with them. Some of you are wrestling with disappointment with God, and you've projected that on others. But God today is saying, hey, 2nd I'm okay. You can be disappointed with me. I'm not going to reject you in that, but I'm going to reveal more of my glory to you in this process. And God, I pray for those that are hopeless today, that literally they are looking for oxygen in their spiritual life. And I pray that you would breathe on them right now in Jesus' name, that you would remind them of the dream that you've given them, that you remind them of the word that has been spoken and seasoned in their life, that God, you remind them every step of the way. And Lord, we pray for the prodigals, those mamas and daddies who have prodigals that are far from you, that God, we're going to continue to fatten the calf. We're going to continue to sit on the front porch and wait for that son or daughter to come home because, God, your word does not return void. And we will dare to believe that at any moment you can make a young person or an old person come to their senses in the pig pen and come home. We give you all praise. We give you all glory in Jesus' name. Can you give them praise today, guys? don't you stand to your feet. All of you today. Alright, I'm going to invite the ministry team down. We're going to have a song of response. And, And I know, you know, sometimes people, they're scared to move and get prayer. I get it. But I also want to say this to you. If you are wrestling today with being an older brother, and there's an issue of unforgiveness in your heart towards somebody, I want to challenge you today. Get prayer confess it psalms 23 we're going to sing about it but it's one of the most beautiful psalms and it reminds us that even though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i will fear no evil there's a peace that god wants to bring to your heart but it only comes when we confront the older brother in us and allow forgiveness to flood so as we sing if you need prayer today i want you to come forward let's worship guys